Hey, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> hey, wasn't that video awesome? Yeah, I'm not even sure I need to tell a joke after that. I have a couple, though, so let me run one short one by you. This is, is kind of like just a one-liner. You know, we spend the first two years teaching our children how to walk and talk. And then we spend the next two, ten years telling them to sit down and be quiet. All right, one more, specifically for the dads, okay? It was Father's Day. A dad, he wasn't the brightest dad around, but his kids loved him, and they bought him a new chainsaw, and he liked to work, you know, and outside he always used a hand saw. They bought him a chainsaw, and they told him all about it and how much wood it could cut. And a week, he week into it, he took the chainsaw back to the dealer, and he said, you know, my kids told me this would cut six piles of wood a day, and no matter, how, no matter how hard I work, I can only cut one pile of wood a day with this. And so the store manager took the chainsaw and said, oh, there must be something wrong with it. He flipped a few switches, you know, cranked it, and it fired up into, you know, the loud chainsaw noise. And the guy jumped back and said, what's that noise? Okay. So, okay, you got that. I'm glad. You know, we're talking about faith. This is the second message in our series, summer series on faith. And uh, we titled this series, Faith uh, Designed for Dynamic Faith, because the basic premise is, the biblical premise, that when a person's born again, when they're born anew, their spiritual eyes are opened, they can see who God is, changes take place within them, and they are designed from that moment on to live in faith. They're hardwired for faith. And so the question then is, how do we begin to walk that faith out in a dynamic way? That's what God's called us all to, and that's what we're talking about uh, this summer you know, uh, for, for, the, for the dads particularly, we titled this message today, Faith for Your Family. And uh, one of the things I want to say is that uh, the message is, is not going to be like a sentimental message, it, it's, but it is going to be a message that if you hear it and if you, if you put it into practice, it'll change your children's lives and it will impact uh, your family line for generations to come. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? You know, as, I, as I'm thinking about children and child rearing and raising children, and how many of you have heard that you don't raise children, you rear children? Okay, so you all heard that. Well, that, that's, that's passe. Language has advanced to the point now that you can either raise or rear them. Either one is proper. But um, what I want to do is this. I, I say, let's not raise them. Let's not rear them. Let's launch them, Okay. If we're going to talk about faith, dynamic, world-changing faith, then I want to pass something on to my kids that doesn't just kind of like release them into life. I want to pass something on to them that just, just launches them into life so that they go out into the world and they shake the world because of who they are, because of the kind of men and women they are. And so I, I, you know, I, I just hope that touches something in your hearts, dads. And I hope that you can agree with that, that that's what you want to do. And moms, too. It's for, for all of us. But just a real quick review, the, the whole idea of faith being part of our DNA. I want, to, want us to see this verse again because it's so powerful. 1 John 5, 4. 
simply says this, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So if you've been born anew, if you've been born of God, then all the things out there in the world that want to destroy you and your family, you have power and life and faith to be victorious over them. That's part of the deal when you become a believer in Jesus. When you're born again, you're born anew. So faith is part of the deal. Now we saw that this is a growing faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Um, you, you can see just Romans 1. Romans 1. There. All right, yeah. It's just an ability I have, okay? Just look at that last phrase. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. We talked a lot about that last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and listen to the message. It's out of faith and into faith. From one level of faith, you're at this level of faith. You leave that level of faith. You come out of that level of faith and you enter into a deeper level of faith, greater faith. And so the question is, how's that happen? And, and how do we grow in this? Um, moving from faith to faith, living by faith is like this. I say to Jesus, Jesus, I invited you into my life. And when I did, you did what you said you were going to do. You, you changed me. I was born anew. I was born again by inviting you into my life. And when that happened... Uh, my guilt was gone. You took my guilt. You took my shame away. You gave me a new life, a new way. To, I can see God now. I can understand who he is. You filled my heart with love, at least a desire to love God and a desire to love other people. You've done all of that. You know, if you could do all of that for me, then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust you with everything. I'm going I'm to live my whole life on faith. I'm, I'm going to trust you with my relationships I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you with my budget. I'm going to trust you with my marriage, with my child rearing, with my work, with my neighbors, with, with everything in my life. And here's the deal. It's like this. Even when it doesn't make sense, okay? Think about it. In just a natural way, just looking at things from a purely a natural humanistic way, why would it make sense to pray to someone who lived 2,000 years ago. How would that make any sense? Well, what would you think if you ran into a, a follower of Plato's philosophy of life and they said, well, oh, well, actually, Plato lives inside of me. Yes, I invited Plato to live inside of me and he's in me right now. What would you think? You'd think, man, this person's crazy. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it's the truth because Jesus rose from the dead. And he's alive today, and he does come and live inside of us, even though, according to human reason, it might not make sense. Well, I recognize that. I did something that doesn't really make sense, humanly speaking, and it changed my life. I think I'm going to keep living this way. I think when God says, okay, be satisfied with that car. Don't go into debt and buy this other car. I know it's shiny, and it's beautiful, and it looks great, and I know you want it. It, and, and I know you can come up with a dozen reasons why you should spend all that money on this new shiny new car and go into debt to do it, but be content with the car you have. 
Okay, I'm going to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be content with the car I have. When God says, look, I know that person offended you terribly. They were wrong. And and your heart's wounded. But here's what I want you to do about that, okay? Let it go. All right? I want you to let it go. Just forgive them. Let it go. And I say, okay, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. They've offended me. They've hurt me. Why Why would I let them off the hook? But okay, I'm going to do it, even though it doesn't make sense. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust you. And so, well, this is illustrated with Peter. You know what? You know who Peter was. How many know Peter was a fisherman? Look, he was an expert fisherman. You know that, right? How many of you know Jesus was not a fisherman? Do you know that? What was Jesus good at? Carpentry. He was an expert carpenter. Peter is an expert fisherman. Well, Jesus actually was an expert carpenter turned preacher, okay? And so, does a fisherman tell a carpenter how to build a house? No. That's the right answer, okay? I'm going to ask the question again, okay? (laughs) Does a fisherman tell a carpenter how to build a house? No. Right. Well, then why would, a fi- why would a carpenter tell a fisherman how to fish? You know, that, that's exactly what happens. Uh, Jesus has been preaching. Uh, Peter brings the boat into shore. Jesus gets on the boat to preach because there's so many people. And, and, th- and then after the message, Jesus turns to Peter and says, launch out into the deep and throw your nets in. And Peter says, wait a second, aren't you a carpenter? Is, is, am I correct? Is that what you do? Did you like, did you, dub, did you double major? Are you a fisherman also? Because if you're a fisherman, you're not a good one. Because listen, we fished all night long and caught nothing. Do you know what that means? That means in the cool of the evening, even when the sun's not out, the fish are at the bottom of the lake. And so when the sun comes out, and you go out into the deep water, there are going to be no fish there. They're all going to be at the bottom of the lake where the water's cooler. And so Peter says, Jesus, this does not make sense. It's, a non, it's bad fishing advice. Nevertheless, because you've said it, I'm going to do it. Okay? How do you like that? Because you said it, I'm going to do it, even though it doesn't make sense. And so they launch out into the deep. They throw their nets in. You know, if you know the story, you know they pull in more fish than they can handle. So do you think Peter's faith stayed the same? I I think his faith probably increased. But where was his faith? When, When he launched that boat out into the water, was his faith in the outcome? Was he thinking, all right, boy, if I do what Jesus tells me to do right now, we're gonna catch a ton of fish. No, it wasn't. His faith was not in the outcome. His faith was in the person of Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus was good. And so even though that doesn't seem like the thing that's going to get me where I want to go, Jesus, I'm going to exercise faith in you, trust in you, and I'm going to obey you in this. And so this is how we move from faith to faith. Every time Jesus says, forgive that person. Every time Jesus says, spend your money this way. Every time he says, give, and and I don't, don't feel like I have it to give. And every time I obey him, then my faith increases. Not because I'm looking at the outcome, but because I'm looking at him. And this is a key thing in faith. 
Our faith is in a person. It's in a person, not in what we envision as being the best outcome or the outcome that we want. Now, as we trust him and as we exercise faith and he promises things to us, then we we do say, well, okay, he promised me this outcome. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to go for it. The outcome doesn't happen. Praying for healing. You know, Jesus said, heal the sick. So I pray for a sick person and they're not healed. What do I do? Do I say, well, I must have misunderstood God, must have have misunderstood Jesus, or this just doesn't work, or I'm doing something wrong, or what? No, I look at Jesus and I say, Jesus, I don't understand why this didn't happen, but I know you're good. I know you told me to pray for the sick. It doesn't make sense that I'm going to keep praying for the sick when I'm not, when that person wasn't healed, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to keep doing it, okay? So that's how we live by faith, all right? Does that make sense? That's how, we li- that's how our faith grows and how we live by faith. And it all boils down to this, one simple phrase, the foundation of faith is a revelation of God's goodness. It is a revelation of God's goodness, understanding that God is good. He's good through and through, that we can come to him And we can know that we're coming to someone who is just intrinsically good to the core of his being. In Hebrews 11, there's a verse that talks about um, faith and and what faith is and how how it operates. That whole chapter is about faith. But Hebrews 11.6, he says, without faith, Hebrews 11.6, do I have to do my thing again? Nope, it's there. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. All right, please him. You know, that, uh, so, somehow in my mind that I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, some people are going to take that negatively, like God's hard to please. Or, boy, I've got, really got to toe the line to please God because he's a perfectionist, you know, because he does everything perfect. You know that, here's something, God does everything perfectly, but he's not a perfectionist in his relationships, okay? Did you get that? Okay, God does everything perfectly, but he's not a perfectionist in his relationships, in dealing with us. And so please him doesn't mean be perfect. Please him means that we have the ability to delight his heart. We have the ability to give him delight and joy. And it takes faith to do that. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think? I mean, growing up, there really wasn't a whole lot more important in my life than to think that my father was delighted with me. Not that I did everything right, but just that he would look at me and say, you're a cool kid. Yeah, I'm just so happy I've got you. You know, like Wilson, I'm so happy I've got you. You're a cool guy, and you, I delight, you delight me. And Jen, you, you are delightful as a daughter-in-law. You bless us, and we're so happy f- to have you in our lives. And to know that by faith, I can, I can have God look at me the same. And, and it takes faith for that to happen. But here's what it says, two things. I have to believe that he is, okay? I have to believe that God is, that he exists. But, you know, a lot of people believe God exists, And they believe that he's harsh. And they believe that you have to be careful around him. And they believe that if you mess up, you're going to get hammered. 
and they believe that if something wrong goes, happens in your life, God's getting even with you, or he's trying to teach you some lesson, some mysterious lesson, and that's why you got this cancer, or you had this car accident, or you lost your job, or whatever it is. Now, we'll learn through everything as we trust God, but it's different to say God did that to me than it is just to say God's faithful as I go through this. And so we can believe God exists and believe the wrong things about him. But he says here, believe that he exists and that he is what? Say it with me. He is what? A what? A rewarder. Say that again. He is a rewarder. That's different than saying God rewards people. Yeah, boy, you know, God rewards people that come to him by faith. That's different because when it's, in the, in the Greek text is very clear, it's a word that is describing God's character, not that he rewards people. It's not saying that. It says he is a rewarder. What that means is it's part of his very nature. It's, part, it's, it's the same as saying God is good. So that's different than saying God does good things. Okay, does good things. No, God is good. Now, God doesn't just reward. He is a rewarder. And when you know that, when you understand that, you're really tapping in to the core of real faith. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. He, is, it's, he can't help it. It's just, it oozes out of him. It just flows out of him. You seek him, you walk in his presence, you're going to get blessed because he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That's the way it is. That's just the way he is. And so that all comes down to this, this idea that we've got to keep in our minds, God is good. He is good. What that means is that he re, he's a rewarder. I come to his presence. I can come into his presence with the confidence that just by coming into his presence, he's going he's to bless me. And he's going to reward me because that is who he is. And so remember, faith isn't in an outcome. It's in a person. And so I can put faith in a person like Jesus. I can put faith in a person like God the Father who totally reveals himself in Jesus. I can, I can trust him because he's good and because he loves me and because he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, this, um, th- this whole idea then comes down to revelation, understanding, deeper understanding, where the Holy Spirit opens our minds. Just like when I received Jesus and I was born anew, that was a supernatural moment that set off all these things inside of me and gave me spiritual sight to see who God is. That spiritual sight that we have needs to come into better and better focus over the course of our lifetimes. And every time every time we see more clearly, that's like deeper revelation as to who he is. It's like deeper revelation, clearer revelation as to who he is. And as we get that, our faith is going to grow. We're going to trust him because we see who he is and because we are designed to trust God. And then when he says, okay, launch out into the deep and we're all shaking our heads, it doesn't make sense, but you're good. I see that now. I trust you. So pull up the anchor. We're, we're moving the boat. We're launching out. And, and that's how we grow in faith. And, and it happens as revelation happens. 
in our lives. And uh, there's a verse, Romans 10, 17, that says this. It's real simple. It's a powerful verse. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith, how's my faith stirred and how does it grow? It grows through hearing, through revelation, through hearing more, understanding more, seeing more of who he is. How does that happen? Through the word of Christ. Now, I want to say it it certainly encompasses the Bible when it says the word of Christ. Because the Bible from beginning to end is the living word of God. It's alive. And when I read it, it feeds my soul. And it feeds my, even if I don't feel like it's feeding my soul, it's feeding my soul and it's strengthening my spirit. And it's moving in me to, and and I'm gaining by just simply by reading the Bible. But the word that is used here for word is not the word that would you'd use to refer to the Bible per se. It's a word, some of you might have heard this word. I'm going to say it just to distinguish the two. The one word is logos, which would mean, have more of an idea of the totality of the Bible. The other word that's used here is the word rhema, which refers to a specific message for a specific person or group of people at a specific moment in time. So it's almost like getting a prophetic word from God for you. It is God speaking to you, saying something to you at the moment that is just what you need to hear at that moment. Now that happens when we read the Bible. There are times, uh, you know, I've read the Bible where I'm reading and I might read three, four chapters and then a verse just wham. It's, it's just like it lifts off the pages, hovers there for a moment and then just kind of like, just kind of like absorbs right into your heart, into your spirit. And it's something that the Holy Spirit is taking. You know what the old timers like, and by old timers, I mean uh, Christian leaders from two, 300 years ago, the writers, they would call that quickening. They would say that verse was quickened to your heart because the word quickened then meant enlivened, brought to life. It's always, it's alive. All of it's alive. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will take a verse and he'll just like, just bring it to life for you at that moment in time. And you read it and you say, that, that's God, thank you for that promise. Thank you for that, that direction. Sometimes it's correction, but that's good too. Thank you for that, Father. And when that happens, our faith grows. Now, that happened, um, has happened to me different times, but a real key moment in our lives was when we were leaving a church in Michigan that I had pastored for six years. Uh, you've, you've heard this story, many of you have, but for those who haven't, uh, it was a church that did not believe in the Holy Spirit, did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. It, it, we did not believe in the Holy Spirit coming on people or touching people or God speaking to us today or anything like that. It was just, just straight academic, teach the Bible and obey. And uh, Lori and I come to understand that the Holy Spirit's alive in a dynamic way today, touching people's lives, speaking to people, healing the sick, giving prophetic words and, and the whole deal. And so I resigned that church. But before I had left that church, well, and I mean, the future for us right now is very uncertain. We have four kids. The oldest, I think, was 15 at the time. And we don't know where we're going. Well, I think we had just decided to go to Champaign, but we're in that process of figuring out what we're going to do and where we're going to go. No job on the horizon. And uh, it was the last time I would serve communion at that church. 
And the way we did communion, well, there was a big communion table at the front. And I would stand at the front and I would bless everything. And then I would hand it to the elders and they would take it around and serve every person individually. And I would sit back down. And so this is the last time we're serving communion there. I have all this stuff on my heart about where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What about my kids? I mean, my kids, kids were a big thing in, in our hearts right then. And as I'm there, I flipped my Bible open and I came to Isaiah 59, 21. And uh, that verse is going to come up on the screen here, and we're going to read it together. All right, there it is. This was God speaking a specific word from the word of God to me at that moment in time. And it said, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time on and forever. So you see, I read that and the Holy Spirit came on me just in this powerful way. And I started to fall out of my chair. I didn't even know what was happening. I hadn't experienced that you know, like that before. And then I'm realizing, well, if I fall out of my chair, they're going to call an ambulance. <laughs> and so I, I better not fall out of my chair right now. And, and I grabbed, you know, and I pulled myself back up. But God took that verse and he spoke that, just planted that verse in my heart. And I can't tell you how many times I've went back to that verse and said, okay, God, this is your promise. And I'm here just saying, fulfill it. Let it happen. Let it be, Lord. And so that, that was like one of these rhema words. It strengthened my heart. It lifted my faith. It gave me courage to keep going on. And that's what the word does. As, as we get these words from God like this, then we're strengthened and encouraged to keep on going and to keep pressing in to more and more of who he is and what he wants to do. I'm just going to tell you this story. Um, we're not going to read it. Um, so we're not going to put any of the verses up. But uh, King Solomon in the Old Testament, he was the son of King David. David was a great king and Solomon was a great king as well. But David had just died. Solomon had just taken over for his father. And the Bible says that Solomon loved the Lord and he walked in all the ways of his father David, except for one thing. And that was that rather than doing all of his worship in Jerusalem, where God wanted them to worship, he would go out and worship at the high places where the, a lot of the people worshiped. You see, in Jerusalem, there was a tabernacle that was a big tent. And that was where God wanted them to come and worship. But uh, for people in Galilee or other parts of Israel, it was a pretty long trip just to go to a tent. And so they followed the pattern of all of the pagan people in the area, and they would go to high points, to mountaintops, to tops of hills, that build altars there, and they'd worship. They were worshiping the true God, but they were not worshiping him the way he asked them, the way he commanded them to worship him. And so it says Solomon did that. So it was the only thing that he was missing on at this point in his life. And, and so it says that he went to a city to worship because it was the chief high place to worship. And you might ask, well, why did he do that? And I suspect that he felt like he really had to start well. I suspect that he felt like he had to assure the people that he was with them and that he was one of them, something like that. I don't know. But he's there. And get this. While he's there, he has a dream. And in that dream, God speaks to him 
and says, Solomon, he, he, he just blesses Solomon, but he says, Solomon, what do you want? What do you want from me? And Solomon says, I want wisdom to lead your people. And that so pleased the heart of God that God says, okay, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you what you didn't even ask for. I'm going to give you fame and fortune as well. But because you've asked for wisdom, you're going to get blessed, man. I'm going to bless you. And if you obey me, I, I will bless your future generations until the world ends. And so here in this place where Solomon is not even walking in complete obedience to the Lord, God meets him and speaks to him and blesses him. And he doesn't say, Solomon, what are you doing here? Get, if you want to talk to me, you get back to Jerusalem where you belong and come to the tabernacle, then I'll talk to you. Doesn't do that. Why? Why? Because God is what? God's good. God's gracious. God's merciful. God's kind. And so he even meets Solomon right there in that place. You could say disobedience, but he meets him right there. And do you know what Solomon does immediately? He packs everything up and he skedaddles back to Jerusalem and makes this huge offering to the Lord in the tabernacle where God wanted him to worship. Now, what do you think happened there? I think when, when the Lord spoke to Solomon in that dream, he got a deeper revelation of who God was. He got a deeper revelation of God's goodness and how you can trust him and how kind he is and how merciful. And, and so, okay, I'm done with this stuff. I'm not going to worship here at the high places anymore. I'm, I'm coming back. Uh, th- this is where I'm going to worship. And so you see, revelation increases our faith and it corrects our course and it, and it points us to God and to deeper faith in him. The apostle Paul was going from city to city. Uh, This is after Jesus died on the cross. Solomon was hundreds of years uh, before Jesus died on the cross. And Paul's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And everywhere he goes, he's getting kicked out of town. Persecution and getting kicked out of town. So he comes to Corinth and he starts preaching. And what happens? Persecution comes to him. And And he's being rejected once again. I don't know what he was thinking, but that night, Jesus appeared to him in a dream. And we're going to look at this verse, okay? It's in, uh, first, uh, it's in Acts 18, Acts 18, 9 through 11. Here's what Jesus said to him. Do not be afraid. Literally, do you know what that is? Stop being afraid. That's literally what it should say. Stop being afraid, Paul. doesn't sound like it's coming with like harshness or recrimination, but just... Hey, dude, you don't have to be afraid anymore, all right? Paul, stop being afraid. And listen to what he says. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, I think that until Paul got that vision, he was packing his bags. He was ready to move on to the next city. Okay, they rejected me here. A few people believed. I'll just leave it in their hands and I'm out of here. I'm going to the next city. He was afraid, obviously, or God wouldn't have had to tell him, don't be afraid. But this revelation, this rhema, this word came to him at this moment and said, no, Paul, right now in your circumstances, right here, I am with you. Come on, you be courageous, Paul. Keep on preaching, keep on teaching. There are a whole lot of people out there that are gonna believe if you stay here and keep preaching and keep teaching the word. 
And so Paul was strengthened to keep on going because he had heard from God. God spoke to him. Now, here's what Paul does. Later in his life, he has a young disciple named Timothy. And it says that Paul spoke of Timothy as uh, his son. He says, you're my son. You're the son I love. He called him the son that he loved. Now, he wasn't literally his son, but he was, he was Paul's son in the faith. And so Paul's getting ready to die now, and he's leaving this legacy to Timothy. And here's what he does. He passes on to Timothy what he got. All right? So it says, therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Paul has lived this. Timothy has seen it. And now now Paul's reminding Timothy. There's another verse that talks about Paul and the elders laying hands on Timothy and making prophetic pronouncements over him. You know what those prophetic words were? It was God speaking to Timothy. Calling out the gold in him. Telling him all the gifts God's put in him. How God's going to use him. What God's going to do through him. And so he's reminding him of that. And he's saying, Timothy, on the basis of that, you be courageous. You be bold. You keep your head. You think clearly. And you stay with it. You keep on going. And so the lesson for us here is this. Dads, okay? Dads. um, Moms too. You can listen in. Specifically, dads, get in touch with God's mission. Open your heart to embrace God's mission and how he wants you to fit into it. You know, it's not like we all have a mission. I know we talk that way. What's your mission in life? No, Jesus has a mission, all right? Jesus has a mission. We get to be part of his mission. What part does he want me to play in it? And, and so, dads, I want to say the first thing, if you want, if you want to launch kids, they're going to change the world, get in touch with his mission and how you fit into it. And I want to promise you this, if you, if you come to him and if you just right now say, whatever it takes, what, whatever it takes, I want your mission, I want to be part of your mission, reveal to me how you want me to step ahead more in your mission. How can I engage more in, the, in your mission? What part do you have for me to play in it? Whatever it takes, that's what I want. I promise you God will answer that. Because he says when we seek him with our whole heart, we find him. He'll respond to you. And, and, and you, your life will light up when you get engaged with that. But this, see, that's what Paul did. And so as we do that, then we're able to pass on. So of next importance, dads, is that we pass that on to our kids. We do what Paul did with Timothy. We speak blessing over them. You know, I get in touch with God so that I can hear God. And by the way, if you haven't taken School of Kingdom Ministry, best place to start is right there, okay? We'll be doing it next fall again. Sockham. How many are going to take Sockham next fall? Oh, come on. All your hands ought to go up. <laughs> Listen, if you want to learn how to hear God speak, that's where to go. Now, I, I, as I'm engaging, I'm hearing God speak to me. I'm starting to learn how to hear God speak to me. Now, God, show me, how, how are you speaking to my kids? And from the time they're little, I'm speaking words 
of life to them. I'm calling out the gold in them, the good in them. And as I do that, God's going to give me other words for them that are going to be his specific words for them. Listen, you might say, well, there's nothing positive about my kid. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I know some people feel that way. I suppose that's funny. But listen, let's say your kid's 20 and he's a drug addict. You say, wow, he needs to be rebuked. No, I don't think so. He needs to be loved. You know what I do? I'd go up to him. I'd say, you know what, man? I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of your, how tenacious you are. Yeah, he always gets his drugs. He's tenacious. I'm proud of your creativity. You are such a creative person. You know, I'm proud of your creativity. He is. He's creative. Look how he hides stuff. Look how, you know, how he does. Look, I'm just, I, I'm just showing you, you can find something good and bless it. Bless it. For most of us, we don't have to look very far. You're brave. You're an adventurer. You're a thinker. You're sensitive to others. You're a risk taker. You're a good friend. You're compassionate. You don't give up. I love it when you. You fill it in. I love it when you smile like that. You know that? I love it when you. <laughs> I, I love it when you tease me like that. That makes me feel. I love that. Bless them. And as you do that, what's going to happen is God's just going to start speaking through you to them. They're going to see God's goodness through you. And and as they see God's goodness through you, you're revealing God's goodness to them. They're going to want them. You do that with them from the time they're little. And you know what? You, You know, there's a point at which they come to you saying, hey, what should I do? Should I... You know, for, for the school project, I have to choose, and there are three things to choose from. Which one do you think I should choose? Well, boy, I don't know, honey. Why don't you pray about that and do what God tells you to do? Okay, six-year-old, four-year-old. They can pray and hear God speak. I want to teach them from that time on up that, yeah, get wisdom from others, but pray and let God speak to you. And you trust them to do that, and you're just going to bless their socks off. And I'm telling you, if you're starting to hear God speak, you're going to speak prophetic words to them just like Paul did to Timothy. And so here here it is. Write them a letter. Write your kids a letter. Just write them a letter. Uh, And if, if you don't speak, if you don't see your kids much, especially write them a letter. But even if they live with you, write them a letter and send it to them through the mail. Okay, do that. And tell them what you love about them. Tell them what you see in them that is so good and so blessed and bless them. Tell them you remember when they were six years old and you went to King's Island together. Remember how, you know, the clown squirted us with water and how we laughed together. I'll never forget that. That's one of the best memories of my life. And boy, you're just going to bless their socks off. And so that's what I want to leave you with, dads. And I know that, you know, for some of us here, you know, just Father's Day itself brings pain for many reasons. We'll talk about that as part of the ministry time later. But I just want to leave you with that, okay? That uh, write them a letter, nothing negative in it, just all blessing, blessing, blessing. And if God gives you something, you know, I really see you having an impact for God in. You, you tell them that and just see how that goes, okay? So we're going to move on with our service. And Lee's going to come and, and take us into the next part of our service today.